Hello and welcome to what I think should be considered a fairly long-awaited episode of Backlash. Uh, I'm one of your hosts, Jerry, otherwise known as Notorious GHP, and I'm joined as per usual for the first time in too long as also per usual these days um, by August, otherwise known as The Boxer. How are you doing? Doing good. Uh, it has been a while, although I, I did record a cast uh, the other week that I still need to go through and do the preliminary uh, time stamping of. Uh, it, you got second in Worlds? That was great to watch. Obviously, you're happier than I am, but I am very happy to have watched that. It was so fun to watch. Uh, how are you doing? I kind of stole the news from you. <laughs> Yeah, that might be kind of news. Um, so I will make sure I even answer that to go with what you said. Whenever, so you did a podcast um, with, oh my god, Brain, Stormguard? Yeah. Um, I apologize to Stormguard if, for somewhat forgetting that uh, it was a couple weeks ago. And it was almost four hours. Um, and since for me, what ex uh, my pre-Worlds time looked like is I had final exams uh, the week of Worlds. And so... I was very busy, so I was going to get you to send me, like, editing notes. So I will edit that cast whenever, you know, you get to sending it to me and stuff. And uh, it will go out. It, obviously, it won't be in chronological order. And I have no idea what you guys actually talked about, which means I have no idea how much of that is going to sound really weird. Or it on, like, December 6th. Um, but uh, that will come out. So at some point, there'll just be a, a cast with Stormguard that will be two parts. Uh, just a note. That actually answered your question. Uh, my life has been hectic. Very good, but hectic since we quarter last. Uh, we had planned just to replace me for a little while just so I could focus on Worlds. So between, you know, the last cast and now we've had... We did Worlds prep for like three weeks or so. I had final exams. Obviously Worlds happened. Now we're filming right after Christmas. So Christmas and my birthday have happened. Um... And so to me, it is definitely not the most wonderful time of the year. Um, I'm not a uh, I'm not a December enjoyer, so to say. Uh, but this has been a very good Christmas, I will say that. Um, so yeah, I have the distinct pleasure of saying I have finished second at the Eternal World Championship. Um, ironically, I got paid today, which that's very early for Dire. Um, so <laughs> yeah, really though, like it is. December 28th, I, that event ended on the 18th that I signed the affidavit on the 19th. That's insane for Direwolf. I'm very happy about it, except for the fact that I now have to check out taxes work. I thought I was going with uh, what happens tax-wise uh, in Canada next, for next uh, like next tax years. But that's the only con, I guess. So, yeah, I, my life has been very, very interesting. It's been nonstop, but like, you know... We killed it at Worlds. Uh, for those who don't know, we basically uh, combined the Barbarian Camp TBC, um, which has had you know a lot of Eternal's best players um, on it, and then TRS. So we put them together for Worlds, so I directly worked with uh, the Overmaster and Collector, and then of course and GT were helping out a lot in uh, testing. Before we dive into what in the hell worlds was because that was a really interesting experience that i'm very happy i got to have uh the highs and the lows of it i think we should dive into probably what might be in the title of this podcast and has definitely generated some number of clicks we have a spoiler card 
And I don't think we should leave the people waiting too long to figure out what in the hell we have to spoil. Do you want to do the honors, or do you want me to do it? Yeah, I can do the honors. Sure. Uh, so our spoiler was provided by The Rock, and it's a three-cost uncommon uh, soldier. It's a it, uh, it costs one fire and one justice influence. It's a 1-1 one, one with war cry, and summon, draw a weapon of your choice from the top seven cards of your deck and give it plus one, plus one, bottom the rest. What are your thoughts? So this is the kind of card that if you came from Magic, you've had a lot of positive experiences with these kind of cards. Like Ancient Stirring is a very, very good Magic card. Um, however, uh, those kind of cards, you know, they have to be really good still to see play. And in Eternal, generally speaking, cards that basically say you get a smaller body but I replace myself, historically have not been good enough. Uh, Temple Scribe hasn't been playing a long time. And if we're being honest, if we're looking for just cards that replace themselves, Temple Scribe is a pretty good card. But it has not been a card you consider playing for probably at least three years. I think it's probably like four. Um, like, And so those effects have not been very good in Eternal. However... I absolutely love this card. I love these cards that, yeah, you get a smaller body that replace themselves. You see seven cards. Seven is quite a lot. However, one con, of course, is that it bottoms the relics, or, well, the cards, uh, not just the relics. Um, and if these cards went to the void, we've had enough synergy in Eternal that that could be relevant. My thoughts is that I could see a slow enough expedition format existing where cards that replace themselves are good enough, and that there's good weapons. You could draw Stormheart Plating, which is incredible, because that's drawing a power with this. Um, or if there's, say, let's say Orc Runehammer, a good f uh, weapon to curve into, that maybe, especially whether it could generate a two-for-one, um, This that could be a good pattern, but I think the format has to be quite slow, where you're really trying to eke out value. Um, for this kind of terrible bodied unit that replaces itself to see any play in a turn. And of course, then you need good enough weapons surrounding. And uh, it's worth noting, Lunar Claw is probably leaving Expedition. They've been, they're following the same pattern. Yeah, we would, I think we would need to get either good ones in like the Vault or something, or in the new set. Um, also, I don't think we have any guarantees the Stormhawk Plating will still be around. Uh, no, so... Uh, yeah, unfortunately, it's really up in the air if this could see play in Expedition. I think this card is not on the table at Throne. I think there may have been a world in the past if they released this card. Um, when we had pre-markets if you were playing Armory. Um, there weren't that many good threes. Um, there were cards like Slay, but there weren't a lot of good threes in those decks. And so maybe, uh, this card... Actually, I think this card would have been pretty good back then. Uh, because... Any, especially the plus one, plus one on the weapon, really matter. That's why people were willing to play cards like it's uh, Ricardo Artisan. Um, and so, I don't think today this card is remotely considerable in Throne. Um, I will note in Draft, if there's good enough weapons, I think this card is totally. Um, but there needs to be good weapons, and weapons in Draft are always kind of questionable, especially uh, weapons you put on units. So, yeah, before uh... you... Tell me that I'm totally wrong. I'll just give a quick summary. I love this card. I think it's the card that's fairly, like, just like Temple Scribe. I think Temple Scribe is a pretty good card that has no reason to see any. I think this card is a powerful Eternal card that won't make the cut because the game just has never been good at rewarding this kind of effect. And I don't think this is the card that's going to suddenly change that. Go so, on. 
I just plugged it into a hypergeometric calculator, and if you have 12 weapons in your deck, uh, you have a 72% chance of hitting. That is not inspiring numbers for me. That's not, uh, that's not, you need to play this card if you're really confident you're going to hit. Like, this is a 90 plus, I think. Oh, uh, 16 weapons is 82, or 83. Uh, let's look at 20. Uh, 20 weapons is, uh, about 90. It's 0.89776. So, yeah, if you have 20 weapons, you have about a 90% chance of hitting. That is a lot. So maybe there's, uh, you know, enough of these inscribed kind of, we like, weapons that don't have to be weapons. Like, that sounds like a very much a magical Christmas line deck now, if it takes 20. But I, maybe we get some sort of relics that would make that good. But I don't think I'm touching this card if I can't be, like, 90% plus. Yeah. Um, I would really like if it saw play because I generally think just units that replace themselves are cool. Um, and their relic weapon decks that also play units are generally really interesting. Like, for Worlds, my first year, I almost brought a Rakano uh relic weapon sacrifice deck in expedition uh with siphoner paladin and roland's warblade and carver and blade crafter blade crafter is a comparison point here so this card costs one less it gives the weapon plus one plus one but then it looks through a much smaller number of cards you're not tutoring so you can't just play one ofs and expect that to get them when you always need them. Uh, you'll see them a lot more often if you play this card, though. So it's like still a reason to play one ofs, but it doesn't guarantee that you'll see them. And Bladecrafter also like can trade and leave behind a body, and if you have extra power, you can get another weapon. So I, I don't think this is stealing Bladecrafter's job. But it is a cool card, and I would like to be wrong about 20 weapons to be a hard total to get so our conclusion is that we love this card and don't expect to play it damn it because of math because i put numbers in a hypergeometric calculator and uh took out all the wind out of its sails i want everyone to understand that when we do testing for tournaments and stuff this conversation happens and sometimes we just abandon a deck because we don't think a power base is plausible like we we take the wind out of our sails very easily with math this isn't a first so I do want to thank Rock again for supplying the spoiler. It's always a pleasure that, you know, as a podcast, especially where we haven't consistent, um, that we've always had people wanted to support us in the way of giving us spoilers. And it's something that uh, means the world to us, that we've continued to get to do this. And I've gotten rolled by way too many cards that we've spoiled. Yeah, we've spoiled a lot of cards. Kairos exists. Um, I mean, we, we were almost, we were close to playing Civ at Worlds. Yeah, I was about to say that. Uh, we, uh, Theo really wanted to because we had a, a fun Xenon deck that was almost there. But... So maybe now we should jump into one. And I'm, I'm going to be interested to hear your perspectives too because you were very active in our testing process. And I don't know if offhand I know exactly what decks you would have brought. The only person I can think of who I knew who like didn't you know, wasn't actually at Worlds for what they would have played was Ace, which I will mention that as we get through all that. Um, so I guess I'll just kind of start with a little bit of what our process looked like and some of the decks we considered. Uh, and then when I've done that, I'll get you to comment on, you know, other thoughts you have, what you would have brought, etc. 
and how much you hated me. <laughs> so, story time. Okay, so obviously going into Worlds, um, in Throne, Project was a, you know, a clear starting point for every player that wasn't the Brigand, and I did not know at the time it was dealing with the equivalent of a bar exam in his country. Um, so obviously yeah. Worlds is not his focus, um, but he, you know, he was going to play a control deck. That's what most people should assume. Uh, but generally speaking, everyone is, you know, should be looking at FTJ as a starting point in Throne and Expedition. Uh, it was FPS and uh, FTJ again. Then we got a patch that hurt FPS a bit, you know, Bo and Ram Kirk. Um, so I started testing FPS. We were definitely going to bring FPS uh, if a patch didn't happen. Um, then it didn't. I thought the deck was still pretty good, but I'll get to why we didn't play it uh, as we go here. So that was the clear front runner for us there. And we didn't touch Throne for a very long time. Um, and we did some drafts early on, but we've had the same draft format for a while. So a lot of our draft prep ended up being, you know, taking the two teams that we were, uh, that were working together here and figuring out where we really disagreed on cards. Uh, and, you know, seeing if there's middle ground, seeing if someone was just really too low on stuff or too high on something else, etc. cetera. Uh, I know the biggest debate for us was Party Crasher versus uh, Hermit in draft, where we were... TRS loved Hermit way more, and they loved Crasher way more. I think we definitely, at least I feel like I came to more of a, a middle ground with them after uh, debates on it, but... I still think the important lesson there was they're both fine, common five drops. <laughs> Don't take them too highly. Yeah, because they're so easy to get fives, uh, especially in Fire, in that draft. Well, five to that level. Yeah. Yeah, they weren't so much better than everything else. So... Uh, we, you know, we did some drafts early on just to kind of get it out of the way. And yeah, we were liking FPS. So I'll first kind of talk through all of Expedition now and then get to Throne because Throne got really weird. Um, we were going to play FPS. The nerfs happened. Deck still felt pretty good, but you really noticed the Ramkirk chain against decks with Justice because they have Parliament Elder, Furious Magnum Interest, and Lunar Claw that now Ramkirk cannot get through. If you, uh, Lunar Claw actually living... When doing that really could matter because uh, if you could block the 1-1, one, one, if you get to go, you know, claw, stop your stronghold, which is one of the best cards against FTJ, um, and be able to stop the 1-1 one, one for killing the weapon, and then maybe you just, you know, use the rest of the weapon on the 1-1 one, one. next turn, that's fine. Um, that mattered so much. More than I would have expected, as I could tell, I'm just starting to die. One second. <clears throat> Let me just read an edge now. <coughs> So these, that breakpoint really mattered. And so FTJ beforehand kind of felt pretty close um, against FPS, but now I thought this would really help FTJ. And so we tried a really interesting FTJ build Theo had that his thought was maybe you win the mirror with uh, platings and the six cost charging to Lear. The answer to that is that was way unbelievably too cute. Um, but it, you know, it, it, it felt pretty good in certain matchups, and so uh, I think they might have been trolling, but I'm not certain, judging from their world stack. But Allison posted a deck, main Eternal Discord, and it was her version of FTJ. It had a few weird cards in it, um, like Sharp Tactician, uh, which some people did play at Worlds, by the way, in that deck. But uh, there was a lot of things I did like about their list, and so... I took their list, changed, like, I think it was, like, 8 to 10 cards, ignoring power base for a second. Um, 
And that ended up being the starting point for FTJ. The biggest things I remember changing was I thought it was insane not to play uh, 14-ker Unionist was a big one. That I was that was a hill I was going to die on. Um, and I'm very happy I was willing to die on the hill. And uh, I don't remember if her list had four kickflip monks, but that was a card I very much became sold on quickly. And so we ended up taking what I would say now a more stock FTJ list and running it into other decks. Um, and it, it turns out the deck that I'm referring to here is about 77 out of 80 of the cards we played at. Or I guess it's 72 out of 75 because our market was trolling. Um, and so if you look at my deck from Worlds, you know, we have four Unionist. I really ended up liking four Field Medic. Um, and then we had this flex slot that became really interesting to figure out. Um, and that was we had uh, Avelina for a while, which... Uh, you know, it's a good card. It's a good project hit. We want to inscribe. Um, and it was kind of this uh, unique card in the deck, which that's good. Uh, especially in a world we expected some amount of control. You know, charge units are good. Uh, that was very important in the throne version of FTJ. And so we tried that. We tried uh, five cost Hojin. I think we discussed dismantle, but didn't do it. Uh, say with Exodus at Collision Course. You know, all these good inscribe cards. But we ended up playing two copies of... Uh, new promo card save the day because that card is good against uh, FPS, which I think it's safe to say going into worlds we expected some FPS, but we didn't expect it to be the most popular deck. I think we expected the mirror to be. Is that true? Okay. And it was really good in the mirror, uh, either as a seven cost crystallize or if you could cast it for four. Like that is just a really hard card to beat if you already have units to play yourself. Uh, and that's kind of what FTJ does, is put units on board. Um, and so we ended up playing to save the day. So our list looks kind of very stock, except we ended up on a pile of forums, which that's fine. Um, and then there's, I believe, one random Mercano seat that we came to after I was doing the, the power base math form. But we still thought, okay, you know, if FPS got worse, let's FTJ could be our starting point. Um, we tried Huru Control, which I'll mention now. That's the deck Lights at Ace really thought we should bring. And I just could not be convinced by the deck in our testing um, at all. It didn't feel, you know, particularly favored into FTJ or FPS. And that sounds like a bad place to be. Um, but we, I think we gave it, you know, a fairly reasonable try. And we definitely had some good lists for it. Um, my favorite deck that we toyed with, though, was Zenith. And it was basically the deck that Overmaster won Worlds with. Um, just trying to play, you know, Zydo, Heat's Faithful, Dinosaur Nest, Grumbo, these kind of cards, and then Vikram, and bring back Vikram, and Krogar, and new toy, Vara. Vara targeting, like, Krogar, or, uh, Vikram is just so good. And so, that deck, I think we all wanted to play it. Um, it just was a blast, and it felt pretty good. But our testing kept saying it kept like it felt pretty even against these decks, uh, the FPS and the FTJ decks. And I feel like if you were going to bring a deck that wasn't one of those, you needed to at least be. Well, we thought FTJ would be more. We thought both FTJ beat FPS and that FTJ would be more popular. So I did not want to play a deck that I was invited into FTJ with. And I didn't feel more than like 50% uh, for Xenon. Now, is there any other decks that we really considered before I continue? Okay, so I think I became, you know, the first one to kind of walk in on the FTJ list that 
you know, myself, Collector, Theo, Blade. I know I kind of expected Theo, the, you know, right before submission, to shove the Xena deck into his email um, and just do the last minute pivot because he really wasn't in love with the deck. But we ended up playing FTJ, which I, I don't regret our choice. Um, and there was definitely a deck at Worlds played by the winner, Apple Chips, and people he worked with um, that you know, we didn't really consider, which was a FTS kind of tokens, big wheel deck, which was awesome. Um, but I, I definitely don't regret our uh, deck, and I feel really good about the list we ended up coming to, especially the Unionist and the four field medics that were like an unsung hero in both testing, and it just kept pulling its weight so much. Um, did you have any thoughts you wanted to add to the Expedition? Yeah, so... Xenon, the reason I threw that list together and suggested we test it was it gets um, four uh, relic answers that cost one, or I guess, you, or not four. It, it has two copy or two different cards it can play four copies of that are relic answers that go well with the rest of the deck because you get Igniter and Dismantle is fine to play as your inscribed card. And then also Vara is a new card you can play in it um and i believe it ended up being favored or at least slightly favored against ftj it was fps that gave it trouble you might be uh, right i admit um worlds is a little blurry <laughs> i have i won't deny that uh so yeah there was definitely one of them we didn't feel good about i'm just forgetting what uh, um and then uh as for like specific ftj card choices two seas the day was a mirror breaker. It was a card we could put in so that we would win a board stall. Like unless our opponent also was FTJ, or unless our FTJ opponent also was playing seize the day, we knew we would or not save the day. We knew we would likely end up winning a long game, and that's valuable. Not more than two because if you draw it and no threats, it can be rough. Uh, you just don't want too many. Removable spells in your Xenonobelisk deck. Um, called uh, Kickflip Monk. Large stats. Uh, blocks a lot of things. It blocks opposing dinosaurs in the air even after they've grown. Field Medic was also pretty good. Uh, it attacks still Stronghold. You know, hold it up and then ambush it in and attack it. I was pretty happy with the FTK list we brought. And in hindsight, I don't think we missed anything. I, I don't think there was some amazing deck we missed. Like, if you, you know, told me the field again, or told me that was the field, and you would let me change the deck submission, well, I, if I was playing, I wouldn't. Uh, I'd run that back, I think. So, I agree, and I want to add, and I, I think I, my understanding was that, like, Apple Chips and uh, Straight, etc., who played the FTS deck, the one, you know, that was the most unexpected deck, um, they expected more fps than we did and they were right and they that was their best matchup um our testing and i still despite the fact that chips beat both myself and theo uh you know in top four and top two uh with that deck in the fts first year matchup i still feel like ftj is uh favored into that matchup and so I would definitely bring the same deck list i brought i was i remember friday uh, so Friday, we got the deck list like kind of late. We got them like six or seven my time. Um, and that was my birthday. So I was, I was hoping to like do some testing in the day and cook some food with my partner, 
at dinner time, etc. We're cooking, and I get the deck with Sima, and I'm like, can you, you know, can you take over for a minute? Because this time, we're just, like, cooking, so we only need one of us, really. And so I, I sit on my couch, and open up the email, and I'm, you know, there's that clench moment. Are we about to look like the world's biggest idiots? And I don't remember if you're a Simpsons fan, but when I finished reading the Expedition decks, I did the, like, Homer Simpson woohoo. I would not do that now on this cat. Um, <laughs> I, I am a fan. I haven't watched in a while, but I, I used to watch it uh, most days when I came home from school. So that's like that's how I felt when I saw the decks. And I can honestly say, and I don't think this is like being cocky or anything like that, that I thought if I could go into day two with at least like a four and two record, so just need a two one expedition, that, and anyone who I worked with, Gotcha or Theo, the same kind of story. If any of us went in with like a 4-2 or better record, I felt like our chance of winning Worlds was quite good because I felt like, you know, we had the FTJ list that I liked it into the other players list. Um, and then there's, you know, every, it was nine FPS players and we brought Fieldman. Um, and the FTS stack I felt favored against, even if we did lose to it. So I wouldn't change a thing for Expedition. I'm very happy, even though I did not want to play the Project deck. Uh, shall we go on to Throne? Ah, Throne. So no one likes Throne. Let's just be open and honest. Um, so in there's a little story here, which is for those who maybe weren't playing too much, you know, in early December when they did the patch that affected Ram card and Bow. They also made it so, uh, unleash cards when they when you get a new copy, the cost can't be changed, right? Is that the exact? Yeah, it goes uh, to the original the, cost. Yes, the copy's cost is reset to the yep. original cost copy of the original Kenshin. Yes. Yeah. But yeah, that's that's right. So, okay, that hurts like, you know, Minos Musket into three Barbarian Gorillas, for example. Great. Like, that's that's a great change. Um, however, about maybe 15 minutes after the patch went live, a new, very, very busted combo deck was discovered. Because they made it so the cost couldn't change, uh, like it would reset to its original cost, and they got rid of this whole, they can't cost less, was it, can't cost less than one, I believe, used to be there. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. What we dis what you could do was you could put Valley Whisper in play, which says uh, your units of four more attack uh, have only, which typically, you know, the goal with that is like play that and then maybe like two hexivores, uh, which is like, that's pretty good, right? You just put eight power in play. Um, it's hard to get value out of this card, typically, unless... You have four cost, or sorry, zero cost, four, four charging sand waters because they originally cost zero. So all the, all you tried to do was basically put value whisper in play and get a sand warrior that, that had, that was a four, four in charge. And if you did that, you can attack for 48 on turn four was the fastest way you could do it. But turn five was pretty consistent. So for a couple of days. Throne was a special kind of Endro-like shit show where Endro is actually interesting. This wasn't. I I agree, but that kind of thing would just eat the whole ladder. Um, everyone was playing it, and a bunch of world's competitors and Ilya started complaining about you know can you change this before world? Uh, I could comfortably tell you we would have played that deck. We would have tried some other stuff, but we were pretty on that deck like most people it was incredibly good and you you know you could play cards to help stop hating you like exploit vara's choice you could also play those for the mirror 
I saw Allison post a list with Miss Phil Drake's it is Eden Duck. Um, it just kind of engulfed the metagame. And then they put a change in that fixed it. They made it so they, uh, what is it? It can't cost, it still says they can't cost less than one, but also they can't have their cost, cost change. So now it's fixed. Now now they fixed the problem. So there goes our world stack, just like everyone. Um, obviously, I didn't actually think they were ever going to leave that. Me neither. And considering they uh, changed Prove last year. Yeah. So. I didn't expect that either, and I'm happy that wasn't the case. Um, but we didn't really have a throne deck for a while. It was the last thing we touched. I definitely can admit I got a bit frustrated because I felt like we underprioritized throne during our like during testing. I'm thinking, not saying I feel like that kind of post worlds, but um, we really, you know, kind of left throne to the eleventh hour, um, and we had some FTJ list. They felt fine. Um, I said Ace had mentioned a few times that Caltra was a good deck and uh, that seemed like a reasonable choice, but it didn't feel like it felt pretty even against Project. Um, also, there was a bug that we did not know about, and I don't know if it's fixed, which is if you uh, play Last Chance on Fear, it doesn't mill if you inscribe it. No idea why. <laughs> I only found this out after we submitted our decks. Um which makes me very happy because that is a very like relevant line because that is a way to go last chance give me a power um and so that was one deck that was heavily considered but it, yeah it just kept feeling like 50 percent into project which that seems like a dangerous game to play and so we were probably leaning towards you know that or project and then the night before worlds i got an idea and it was one of those ideas that was so bad that when i left the voice call to go to bed that night I sent you a message that said on a scale of uh, 0 to 10, how was it? How much of a dumbass am I being? And yeah, you responded with like that. 7 or 8. Yeah. So I went, okay. We What we did, and this is what kind of scared us, is we decided to look at all the players and do a list of what decks would you expect them to play at work. Um, some players like Burgund, you know, really do have a style of deck that they play, and you can often hone in on that. Some players... Yeah, certain players put blinders on. Yeah, like Burgund was going to play control, I think, even if he didn't have his... Uh, we expected I'm Straight to be the person that might be over for because people are very scared of combo decks, and I'm Straight is very good at them. Um, and a lot of our predictions, actually, we did pretty well, I think, for throne predictions, except for Xenodex. We did predict some Uh We were wrong about Expedition because there was nine FPS players, and I was shocked. But in throne, we did out this list, and basically our entire list came down to, like, one or two people playing Kira, Hoover Kira, uh, or Gunt, on control. I'm straight on some, uh, like, combo deck. And then, except for Apple Chips, who we said Moon Room or basically whatever anyone else would play here, um, we put everyone on Xenon or FTJ. This basically translated us to feeling like what's going to happen is we're going to play Project Mirrors or decks or play against people who think they're going to beat Project. So in theory, that makes your deck wor worse than a 50% deck. Mirrors are 50%, and then in theory, you're not favored into your opponents. You assume, you assume that over half of the people aiming to beat project are correct in the correct yeah of course um which there's no guarantee of that but so that was kind of scary because we're sat there not really i was not really liking catra and i didn't really want to play the deck that in theory should be sub 50 percent 
And so, a card that seemed really good to me was Equalize. And no, it wasn't bugged. I wasn't planning to get Kira players, don't worry. Um, I thought, well, Equalize seems okay. Why don't we break out good old Combray Relics? Which I never ever want to say that phrase. I've played the deck a decent amount, but I never want to. Um, and then I realized we got this really fancy card that got buffed. Binding Agreement. So if you put a shit ton of power in play, and then draw a shit ton of cards, you should probably win the game, right? Like, that tends to be good enough. And so, I started just tinkering with some lists. Uh, didn't take us long to come to, you know, almost what we played. Um, we started testing it. I, I just, I beat up Catra. I was doing real well against FTJ. And I went, you know what? I think I can 2-1 with this deck, for sure. I, you know, less people hit us with wild cards. Uh, I'm pretty sure binary agreements you should beat. Uh... The control deck, especially if you're depending on how you build your market. Um, and okay, the combo decks are scary as hell, but a couple of things can happen. Sometimes you just win the game with an equalize. If you, you know, you played a bunch of ramp relics early and then you equalize, sometimes that's just enough if they go down to like two cards. Um, and then there was this really fun market suggestion. Um, what is the name? Quicksilver? Is it Mirror? Yeah. Okay, I'm going to pull up what this card does just in case, you know, people aren't familiar. Um, it hasn't really seen much... Oh, no, Quicksilver Gateway. Um, it's a three-cost factionless relic. Relic is important because you can get it off Coveted Gemstone. That is usually how you mark it uh, with this deck. And it says, When a player draws an additional card, transform it into a random card. Pay for to draw a card, then give Quicksilver Gateway to the enemy player. So, of note, anytime you go to the market, it's an additional card, which means if this card is, like, locking you out, you can never go to the market to kill it. You have to preemptively do that. Um, we also found out that if you put this in play, you use the pay for and your opponent has Aegis, it doesn't care. It just goes to your opponent. Um, and that's relevant because a lot of relic removal in this game says kill an enemy relic, but now it's their relic, so they have to pay for to give it back and have powerful relic removal that will be very hard to have. So when we looked at combo decks, we also realized that if... Uh, again, combo decks still now are not good matchups for us. I want to make that incredibly clear. But we realize that almost all the combo decks don't beat this card if it hits the board. Overloader of either variety, for example, doesn't. Um, Eccentric Officer can. Um, it's not a very easy task. But um, they realize that this gives us a, a game plan in those matchups. And what you could do basically was try to play some ramp relics. You have Builder's Decree that might just say you know, give me two turns to live, and then you mulligan for Coveted Gems. So now, I felt good into FTJ, Catra, and I had a game plan. It didn't say it was a great one, but there was a game plan that existed against combo decks. And we didn't expect aggro. Although, this yeah, deck is... So Go ahead. I just want to say something uh, about math when it comes to the... You said, uh, you know, combo still isn't a good matchup, but it stops a lot of the combo decks. For it to be worth including, it doesn't need to make it a bad matchup into a good matchup. Uh, it just needs to be worth more percentage points than the alternative market card. And the alternative market cards were cards like Orient Scepter. Thought they were terrible. Or Gavel, which I thought was super unnecessary. And so it didn't feel like this cost us very much to put it in there. And then it also turned out, uh, when we did more testing on Friday once we had the deck list, I found some other uses for this card that almost happened at Worlds 2. Um, but I 
going into it, I know fears that were had was, what if more people bring combo? Okay, at least there's a game plan, but I don't want to see that. And of note, equalize can beat stand together. That's awesome. Um, so if people were playing that kind of FTJ, one fear that had come up, uh, I think Theo was the one who really mentioned this, was he thought this deck cannot beat um, FPS Moon or Throne Room, whatever you want to call that deck. That did not turn out to be true. <laughs> no, that's going to come up here. But that was one of the fears that Theo really had for submitting this. And so we refined this deck. Um, we went to, we compromised down to six two-cost ramps. I'm going to note, because Pillar Progress seems better than Power Stone. We played four or two Pillar of Progress for Power Stone because the second you play Pillar of Progress and your opponent plays Verbuck and just kills your ramp and makes it so you can't cast turn four Shenra Speaks, you realize that you should have played Power Stone. The extra point of weapon attack also, we looked at the breakpoints of like what, you know, what do, what are the breakpoints in the format? We realized it didn't really matter. And so Power, I would have played six Power Stones in Heartbeat if they let me. Um, but Varbuck was the reason for that. So sure, now we can, you know, it could die to extended like agent. But that's trading a full card. Varbuck is a charging unit eating your card for free. Um, and charge units are generally good against. Uh, so yeah, we just kind of, we refined a list. I actually played Grodov Stranger. We hate this card. But in testing it felt very good. A big reason for it was it was really hard to kill. It was bigger than your opponent's stuff. And then against decks like FTJ... Felt like one of the ways that you actually ended the game was just sticking Sword of Unity. And so you needed a big giant thing for that. And also, when you have Binding Agreement in your deck, any of these cards that just say put a Sigil in play is so good because you can use the excess power better than... Um, and of course, you could just do Builders to Creed 13 sometimes or whatever. But Greta Stranger got better because it could do something against Catra, it could block everything, and then some in FTJ, and they didn't have ways to kill it, unless you were some people at Worlds who brought Alessi's Choice, uh, which was unexpected. Um, and so, it ended up just performing really, really well. I don't know if there's any changes I would have made to this deck if we had tested it, say, a couple days beforehand. Um, maybe cut these Age War Vestiges. Pretty bad now as a 5-cost card. Um, but given the time we had, I was very happy with this deck, despite the fact that you told me I was being an idiot the night before. Um, and so Theo reluctantly registered this deck with me. You reluctantly gave me uh, your blessing once you realized Bindy Agreement is kind of silly. And Collector decided to play a Legion that he decided to build an hour before submission because he still didn't like a deck. So Throne Impressive, was a marksmanship. Uh, Say again? Impressive foot marksmanship. What does that mean? Sorry. A marksman is somebody who shoots a gun. Are you saying shoot themselves in the foot? Yes. Fair. Collector did shoot himself in the foot. Yeah, so I I hate this deck. I, I'm i talking about Cumbria Relics right now. Yep. Not Elysian. Uh, and the only reason I didn't keep pushing you to play Katra is because uh, I thought... Oh, well, because... What, who was it? Somebody was streaming it. I think Gozu was streaming Katra. Gozu. Even though his list was worse, um, it, people would just play the same hate cards for it. And I thought just running into gavels was a bad idea. And I also thought bringing project was a bad idea because I don't think there was a project build with a, an above 50% win rate. Uh, so, yeah, that's why I was fine with Combray because there were no alternatives. But I, I really 
think it should be a worrying sign when you're thinking about bringing Combray to a tournament because I think I got people kind of mad when I said this in the voice call. Combray has not historically been a very good deck. There have been people who got results with it in tournaments, but I have not felt it's been a good deck that you want to play. Can't think of when that's not been true when I've thought, okay, yeah, this is a deck you want to play if your goal is to win the tournament. I agree. Like, it it has just been very lackluster. It is polarizing matchups, but it's been just a lackluster deck. Uh, but this time it was fine. Also, it was thrown, and I feel like it's incredibly hard to gain any percentage points in thrown in any way. Uh, really is just a crap fest. It's the problem that non-rotating formats often fall into where there's just a million decks and they kind of ignore each other and they have a bunch of polarizing matchups. It doesn't really feel like you're doing much. The, the games are usually not particularly back and forth. And I think for all of us, all our goal was basically don't shoot yourself in the foot and it'll probably, you just try and get, you know, this is, of course you always, if I could guarantee that you would get a 2-1 in any format, you instantly should take it. But this was the format where all you're aiming for is to find a deck you can just eke out a 2-1 with and move on. If you don't need this to be your standout form, the biggest like, thing you is you need the right expedition deck. You shouldn't be taking any big risks here. Like, yeah. There's just not room to find some great thing that is just better than everything else, or even slightly better. There was much more of a potential payoff to work in the other two formats. Absolutely. Throne was just about finding a deck that you thought would be reasonable. Um, I never ever want to play Combray, and there was absolutely permutations that could have happened at Worlds. You would have been the world's biggest idiots to bring this. Um, and I'm going to tell a small story. Well, I guess I guess now, should we talk about day one of Worlds? I feel like what I was yes, going to say kind of starts there. All right. So, I can comfortably speak for the three, the two other people I worked for. With. Not worked for. You were not Nope, hired. I did not work for them. I'm kind of the one who picked our decks. At the, or, well, were Theo's collector didn't listen. But I was the one pushing a lot of our decks. Um. Going into Worlds, I can comfortably tell you I was the only one of the three of us who was confident. But I felt like a million bucks when I woke up Saturday morning. Um, that may have been because I was going to get to play Pokemon Go before. I'm not sure. But uh, I felt good, you know, seeing the decks. We did testing the night before. And what did we run in testing? I should state that. Um, we felt really good about uh, playing FTJ versus FTS in Expedition. That's great because, you know, if you feel good into the wildcard deck, and you were testing against everything else there. That's great. And in Throne, I basically said bet. When Theo thought that we just could never beat the Throner. And so I spent an hour just beating the living crap out of him. Um, and I can very comfortably tell you that matchup is good. Um, I wanted to play against those players. All Throne. Um, and part the two reasons for that is the card Throne Room is not very good against you. And you can we do have answers to Crown. Uh, which is the more problematic one just because they get cards and stuff, but you could beat Crown. And with those things, like a resolved Crown that you couldn't... And so that helped. And like in testing, I mentioned Mirror earlier, or Quicksilver Gateway, sorry. Turns out you can also play that card against FPS when they when you can't kill a, uh, a Crown. 
because that deck doesn't actually end up having a lot of power. It means a random card's pretty bad because the range is so big. That's one nice thing with Combray. I do draw extra cards too, but I have, you know, I'm more likely to be able to cast those. And so that was a game plan that we discovered that was on the table. It didn't end up mattering at Worlds, but it came up. I didn't win the game where I did it against Theo because he decided to roll Sindel's Gift, which <laughs> after I played... I don't remember what the name. It's seven costs. Both players draw seven. Well, shuffle their hand and draw seven. Um, that was one of the cards he hit off that. So I didn't win that game, but that was a game where he has, you know, two crowds on me and I have nothing. And so that was like a good thing to learn. And so going into it, yeah, the question mark matchups we just were slaying. So, and we felt good at draft. So how does day one? Um, I do my drafts and I can comfortably tell you my deck was absolutely fucked up. Um, as in good. It was probably... Well, go ahead. What's expected when those were the packs? Yeah, it was probably the best deck I've ever drafted. Like, it's better than other bot pack drafts. I've, um, definitely better than the deck I, like, you know, came second in the last draft. Of. So, I did my draft. Great. I feel great. Theo's deck was great. Collector's deck might have made him wonder if he'd owe three drafts in two years. His deck was questionable. Uh, so, how did draft go? Theo 3 owed it. Um, I lost to Gozu in just... Two games of top decking wars. Um, and Collector went side 2 1, and Collector went 2 1 to draft as well. This is a great success. Draft was pretty unexciting. Nothing went wrong, foreshadowing. We didn't fight each other. <laughs> so, draft went fine. You know, what was our record? 7 and 2 total. The goal was, you know, obviously, like, I wanted to win. If I don't win, I'm obviously rooting for the two people I worked with. Um, so, as a, a unit, we're thrilled. And uh, they didn't feel as good about throwing as I was, but I was feeling great about, you know, I 2-1 draft. I thought my deck could, was definitely good enough to 3. And I think my deck was better than Gozu's, actually. It just didn't play out that way. Um, but I was content with the 2-1. You really should never complain about 2-1s when you're for 6-3s. And then here comes throw. So I'm going to preface this by saying some things went wrong, but after we finish talking about day one, we're going to talk about some things that went really wrong. So I might mention those things, but we'll elaborate more on them once I'm done actually discussing day one, um, instead of mixing those two topics together, because the things that went wrong went really wrong and weren't us being bad players kind of wrong. So we register your Replego Throne decks. Um, so how Throne went is that Theo went one two. His, uh, I believe he lost to one person on um, Moon Room and. One person on FTJ, and then he beat me in a mirror match. Uh, Collector went 2-1 with a lesion, which is hilarious. Um, and I don't know who he played. And, oh, the irony. I went 2-1 with Combra. My loss was to Theo. My two wins was me playing against Moonroom decks. An impossible matchup, in quotation marks. So, that seems like Throne went fine, except for some things that happened. Uh, <laughs> so I'll state what happened. We'll talk about why this was so bad. Uh after but i uh i opened my market and against moon room you're most like for maybe like plating or a really good turn to get a sword unit you play you're not really caring about this grotesque board but i opened up my market because i drew a gemstone and why try to remember my market when i can just look at it and think you know are any of these cards gonna matter with how this game is playing out so far and i think i had a stranger in hand so i was like well that's a game plan and i noticed something doesn't look right which is so funny to me. um my market there's this card i didn't recognize it's called Grotto's Burden. It's from a campaign. Uh, 
I'm not going to open my email right now to check what it did. It cost zero and you could gain life. I think it was gain a life, once per turn gain life equals in play, but it was actually like a really good card. It was zero cost and stuff. It was from a campaign. And so what happened is there was actually two cards in Eternal called Greta's Burn. You can only collect one of them. And they gave us the one that you can't collect. Um, I will state before we get into the bad, and first we should review day one. This didn't impact me, it impacted Theo though, and then there were some other issues in round four for Gozu too. So, day one ends with uh, me and Theo at 4-2 and Collector at 3. I'm feeling pretty good still. I don't fully recall how the other two felt. Uh, well, Theo was frustrated because of the issues we're going to discuss. I would expect Collector probably wasn't feeling the best at the 3 Um... But I felt really good when day one ended. You know, your 2-1 before match, you just need a 2-1 tomorrow, and I thought our deck was the best deck. That's a good place to be at. 2-1 isn't a huge ask. And uh, also, I will mention, um, you know, I had a passing that week, and so I was very happy that I somehow managed to make it to a, a wake that night. I did not expect for to have the time, given the, the fact that there were multiple technical issues at World. But I finished the round immediately off my house, which was very nice and I'm happy about. So I thought day one went great. I was feeling great the whole day. I felt like I was playing really, really sharp. Um, and I, you know, I felt like I was in a good mental state, etc. And I felt like our decks were good. So, uh, you know, finishing day one at 4-2, I think, did you finish 5-1 or 4-2 at your last words, uh, day one? Oh, I forget. I think it was 5-1. I think so, too. I think Ace was 4 no, Ace was 5-1. Wait, no, did Ace 3 last year? Expedition? No. no, I don't think so. So, okay, yeah, I think you're right at 5-1. So, for you, finishing 4-2, I felt totally fine with that. So, I, yeah, I'm feeling good. My morale is good. All these things after day one, leading into day one. I'm feeling hot. So, I want to ask you, as someone who didn't actually have to play the event, so you got to be there without the emotions of playing each match but you were there you were watching with us and voice all these things how did you feel after um well i was glad that it looked like you had uh on track records or well two of you did uh that was the most important thing and then the other thing was uh it, a lot of stuff went wrong <laughs> a lot of stuff went wrong uh like the Grodov's burden thing um gozu not being able to join his match um leaking our emails for like the fourth time yeah um uh then them deciding to do nothing after gozu just couldn't join his match how how is that not worth doing a redo i know there's the whole we do these tournaments as is you know that stuff like that the whole yeah we Ultimately, on the, at the end of the day, don't have to lift a finger if something goes wrong code-wise, but that doesn't mean it's the right thing to do to not change things, or, like, not do a redo for even just one match. I know it would change the timing of the tournament, but uh, competitive integrity is pretty important, and if people are just losing matches because of bugs or games, uh, like, literally... He lost not, one uh, game and then didn't get to mulligan again. Okay, yeah, so like literally losing the match because of a bug that's not that's a bigger deal than oh yeah there's this one card bug that we couldn't find we didn't know about before now it, you know if they find out about a bug the day of then there's nothing there. if they find out about it anytime you know before 
uh, the eve of the tournament should be fixed by the tournament. You know, you, I'm not a business manager, but I think what you do is when you have a tournament like Worlds, you have you give some coders um, overtime pay to be on standby, uh, extra hours leading up to the tournament. So if something bad happens, it gets fixed. That is, uh, I can confirm that that is very standard in other uh, esports. And so go ahead. Gojo had that happen twice day one, or was it, or was it once on day one and multiple times on day two, or what? What? I forget which. It happened to him multiple times. So it happened to him, I, I can remember it once on day one and at least once on day two, but it didn't end up impacting his match in day two. It just probably made it more stressful and he did have less time probably to mow. And then it also happened to Theo twice. Uh, it happened to him sometime during the expedition rounds and then it happened to him in his, uh, at the beginning of his top four match, but it didn't impact his games either. But yeah, it happened a bunch. So I, I will add, just in case people aren't aware, what happened basically is like Gozu tried to join his game and it was like an empty game. There's no hands, there's no nothing. So he re-logged the game and it was just like kind of too late. Um, and he had missed, you know, the first full game and then he was in mo or he had missed his mulligan on the second. And for Theo, you know, the answer was re-log would fix these. So like, I think they caught, they didn't let it happen again. But I can tell you throughout all of the rest of day one and day two, uh, me, Theo, and Collector were constantly relogging between rounds just to check if something was up. Because apparently someone also, I don't know if it was one of them maybe, somebody didn't get the in-game prompt and got pulled into their game after like the five minutes uh, countdown ends. You get pulled in your game um, if you don't hit join match. And so someone randomly got pulled into their game. Unacceptable stuff. <laughs> so I will just... For full transparency, uh, since people don't have access to the email, if you were to Worlds competitor, basically, at the end of, after I emailed um, someone who, I won't name them, um, there's no, we don't game by naming, who is kind of the go-to person um, during this event, I emailed someone we were told to, if any issues came up, during my match. Like, in my match, game one, I emailed and went, what the hell is this card? And I told my opponent um, that, you know, this was up, we might have to regame or something, right? Who knows? Um, we get an email uh, after the round, and I will note that if you watch, Theo was on stream. Theo, I don't know if he won round four. I can tell you the fact that he couldn't go get Grodos Burner from his market made it so he could not win game two, and it, that was the last game of his match. I'm not saying he would have won that game or the match, but it made it so he was not winning that, which means he wasn't winning that. Um, so it impacted him. It didn't impact my match. But they said, they sent us an email after the round that basically said, we're going to take a few minutes to figure out what we're going to do. Uh, so we'll, you know, have a little bit of a longer break after round four. They come back with us that, with an email that states, uh, in order to keep the uh, tournament going at a timely matter, we're going to uh, fix the, you know, the market cards for myself and Theo, and we're going to move on with our lives. And uh, I can tell you that, you know, sitting there in a voice call with Theo and a collector just between rounds hanging out. And seeing the reaction in the main Discord and on the Twitch stream from Worlds competitors and non-Worlds competitors. I don't know if there was a single person involved who was happy. And I'll say this because I benefited, right? I won my match. I did not need the market. So I, in theory, benefited from the fact that they did not regame. Uh, because they could have... The options for regaming is regame Theo plus uh, Gozu's matches... Or regame them plus me, since technically I didn't have the right deck either. 
or regame everyone if that's their fix of regaming. So I, I don't I think, think yeah, because oh, sorry to interrupt, but I think that because it's a strict disadvantage to have one less market card, you only need to redo the games where somebody lost that didn't have access to. I agree. The card. Um, but I think the other two permutations I mentioned were possible. I, especially the redo the round, depending on how their code is set up. We've seen in the past that when things go wrong, they tend to need to make a whole new bracket. So I don't know what would have happened. Um, but if the regaming happened, if they, I would be someone who, like, I benefit because they didn't. And I'm sitting here telling you they should have done something. And if that meant me having to replay my match and then lose, I'm okay with that. Like, I just want to very clearly state that I benefited and I don't care about that. And I would take the L. And I'm about to say that again after day two as well. Um, where I benefited again from. But day one, their solution to the problem, aka just don't fix it besides your deck list. I'll, I'll bluntly say this, they paid me earlier today, was very pathetic. Um, and since then, uh, I, could, I can't speak for Gozu, but I'm in, I talk to Theo every day. I would know he has not been reached out to. I don't know if they should compensate him with money or anything, but Eddie Gozu, but... I don't believe that they've been contacted. I think this is absolutely a case where they go, well, the tournament is as is, so fuck off. Uh, which is sad. But uh, as you said, you're so even though the tournament in the uh, user license does say the tournaments are as is, so in theory we have nothing we to complain about. Like, really, nothing has to be done. I think um, specifically Gozu and Theo... Two very, very good and well-known Eternal players could very easily, and I'm not saying this because I know or not, I'm just saying in general, could very easily leave this game and never beat again. And I think other players seeing this is a very big red flag. I could comfortably speak for myself and say, although I don't think I'm fully ready to discuss my competing plans yet, for, uh, partially because they're not fully decided, um, I would say that how this was handled would be a reason to decide to do something else. Like, this looks very bad, and this is the kind of event that's meant to be the showcase of the game. And these are your solutions to problems. It reflects very badly on the game, and I think it makes it harder for people who want to play the game, support the game, compete in a future season if we have one. Um, I am going to add, because otherwise, just because I'll forget about it, um, for Worlds last year and this year, uh, they are supposed to, please note my wording, give out avatars for players. You have yours um, from last year. And so we submitted it along with our deck list. To my knowledge, this should be a very quick thing to build. I don't think this is, you know, they don't have to spend hours to make the 16 avatars. I think it's a very quick process. We found out Friday when they sent us our decks that they will not have our avatars in time for, but they're going to get them to us as soon as possible. So I received that email December 16th. It's December 28th. I do not have my Aramot's Machinations avatar. Very little, if anything, at day one, and we're going to talk about day two as well, was done right. And I'm not saying the avatars are the biggest deal. I'm saying it's the cherry on top, and it's just another thing we shouldn't have to talk about. Should, uh, should we move on to day two? Yeah. We, we said we weren't going to spend way too long on this, and we it's might okay. have gone more early. We're going to, yeah. It's Let's not a topic it. I intend to lie down on. So, um, day two. So, I will admit, I my day was interesting because I started the day by going to a funeral. So, that's a weird thing to do before the biggest day of your tournament. Um, I went for food, got home, felt, again, felt like I was in a good mental place, felt prepared, didn't really do any testing Saturday. 
or did very little, I think, like a couple games against the uh, FTS deck, just because I had it. Uh, other people did that testing. And that was all the prep. And I can tell you, you know, before World started, I was sat there playing Vampire Survivors. I don't like to play a bunch of games of Eternal before then. And so, um, it's, you know, I, I feel good. We have a pile of matchups I feel favorited to. I, I like our, you know, I feel a little bit better than 50% in the FTS mirror. Or, sorry, FTJ mirror. Felt good against FTS, felt good against FPS. And the way Burgun built control, specifically he wasn't playing Plunk, that made me feel a lot better. Plunk is one of the, I think, was worth quite a bit of equity against uh, FTJ. So that also made me feel a little better against that matchup. So I'm feeling great at 4-2. Uh, day starts, very important win, is Iron Man was the only player after day one to be 5-1. and one. Um, And so him winning probably locked himself up for, you know, a, a top four finish. So that's also good just kind of pulling pulling the bracket together. If he loses a match, that's good for everyone. Um, so I beat Iron Man. So I'm now 5-2, he's 5-2, etc. There's no six ones. Um and that was a you know a great start. Just getting that matchup uh done. I've now gotta play two winning in um because we think six three is probably like a clean cut because we have uh Alex Fierro, for those who don't know, he went 05 and then decided not to play any more matches. Um and I'm not throwing shade when I see this, but Game Grump finished day one at one and five. You know, they were also trailing in the bracket. So that's good for other people when it comes to like getting clean cuts. That's how that kind of works out mathematically. Uh, especially if you do normal Swiss pairings, which is about to come up. Uh, my eighth <laughs> round, I played against its tens, who was uh, I get technically a pair down. They were a full win. Uh, and I got unbelievably rolled in the FTJ mirror. Just not remotely close games. I did nothing for two games. That's that's all that happened. Um, and I had to shrug that off, which that can sometimes that's not easy. Um, but I just I drew terribly. He drew pretty well, and that happens in mirror match. Um, and so I five three. Theo is five three. Collector's five three. I've played Theo. I look at the the, the next round of pairings. We have Apple Chips who's six two. Who was the the only two people who were at. 5-3 or better were myself, or sorry, that I hadn't played. Why am I saying myself? I can't play myself. Don't make a joke. Um, was Collector or Apple Chips? Well, I don't want to play Collector because we work together. I want us both to make top cut. Chips, I felt favored. So I'll take Chips. That's what I'm rooting for. Then I get Portage at 3 of 5. That's These weird. very clearly were not Swiss. Let's make it worse. I don't remember who Collector fought. Do you? Okay, I can tell you round eight, Collector played Alex Fierro, so he didn't. He got a free win. And round set. Oh wait, I remember how this worked. So Collector got a free win in round seven, and Theo got a free win. I think in round. Or sorry, Collector got it in round eight. I think Theo got round seven freebie because Game Grump didn't show up for the last round. So they were one seven and called it a day. Theo played Game Grump in round nine, so he got two buys in day, in day two to six. That's hilarious. So I think what the pairing uh, was um, was for the start of each segment, it was Swiss. And then after that, it was seemingly random. That can't happen. Those... Oh, wait, random. Sure. Random. Sorry. I know one theory that was thrown out was it's a Swiss within each round. So like if I start off 1-0 in Expedition, I'll play against a 1-0 Expedition player. But that was false because like Collector went. 1-0 versus Alex Fierro, who would be 0-1. Theo was 1-1 playing a 0-2, etc. Um, 
So I agree. It's probably random. And so we looked at the last round and we're like, we could have a world. We have like five or six or five. I think was how it would work if Apple chips lost people who were six, three, and they'd have to figure out whatever tiebreakers are. And there's an obvious solution or sorry, not for five. There's no solution. My bad. Um, and so that was something we worried about, you know, we'll see how tiebreakers go. And then we realized we sat in voice waiting for the round. I'm against three, five collectors against, uh, not a, not a person who was five, three. That's all I remember. And Theo is one against a one eight. So it turned out you could have had like eight people, six, which is dumb. So what happened? Well, uh, collector beat who his opponent was. I beat Portage. And Theo beat Game Grump, who didn't show up. So we have three of us at 6-3. That's phenomenal, right? And Apple Chips went 7-2. The problem is there was five of us. It's tens went 6-3. Now I'm going to paint a picture for people who haven't seen this. The leaderboard looked like this. Chips won at 7-2. Then it's tens at 6-3. Then me. Then Theo. Then Collector. So there's a really obvious solution to this that was not done. We had four people at 6-3. Obviously, Apple Chips is in at 7 You need to eliminate one person. What you do is do a double elimination bracket. You make, say, 10s uh, and collector plays at 2 and 5, and then me and Theo are 3. The winners were in. The losers then play each other. The winners in, the losers out. So you, ha you get to, you know, one person loses out in two rounds. That is a very fair way to do it. It doesn't give any sort of reward for tiebreakers that we actually were not told what the tiebreaker system was to determine the ordering of threes. What did they do? Well, they said, hey, GHP and tens, you're two and three. You're safe. Go get some food. And they said, Theo, collector, fight to the death. You're fourth and fifth, fight for fourth. What the hell, man? Like, again, I benefited and I still wish they did double elimination. Um, it was a bizarre solution although it makes sense if your goal is to minimize time spent yeah exactly and so it's weird it's also weird i'm sitting sitting in a voice call with theo collector and a bunch of people we worked with at worlds including you i think at the time i don't remember if you were still there at that moment and i open up my emails and i'm the first one to see the solution do you know how weird it is to be sitting there going i guess i should celebrate i am now top four I am in the voice call with the two people who are not going to be very happy. That is weird. Um, they, it's not the solution they would have liked. We were all up for a double elimination. I don't remember if tens was, and I did speak to him a little bit after, but we discussed favorite chips, not what we like tournament tiebreakers. But that was a very weird solution. But before we talk about the top four, the, between the people I worked with at Worlds, we went 18 and 9. I 2 one to every format. The both of them went 3-0 in a format. And we have a... We could have had three of the top four people. The only reason we didn't is because the two of them had to play tiebreakers with each other. That's insane. And to yeah, add... Very good tournament. The bracket works out. So that how it would have went is if I won my top four match and Theo won his, we would have played the finals. We were the other side of the bracket. That would have been... Instead, neither of us won Worlds. But... Um, it was a very weird way to go, oh, I guess that's how we get our top four. So I'm seeing top four bracket and how it's going to work is it's me versus it's tens. I get the rematch. And it's Apple Chips versus Theo. If the tournament would be played again and there was eternal betting, I would have bet that we would have won Worlds, me or Theo. Like, um, yeah, I, I felt favored into tens and I felt we were both favored into chips. It's pretty confident we are going to win Worlds. And to this day, I'm still surprised we didn't cut it. But Chips is a phenomenal player. 
who, you know, like against me, we both had some good draws at times. He beat me. Like, I'm not going to sit. I have no, like, complaints about the matches. We just lost to him. Um, and so, top four. Well, I'm feeling great. Uh, fortunately, Theo loses the chips in four games. I know Theo wasn't happy with how he played them. Um, I hope he's not beating himself up too hard about it still. He seemed pretty fine after, though. And uh, remember earlier I said I felt favored into its tens and then got rolled by him in round eight? Uh, that was an, no shade at tens uh, when I say this, because tens, in my opinion, played really good all weekend from, you know, what I saw. Um, that was easily the least stressful match of Worlds for me. Just things kept working out, and the the couple differences the deck construction helped. You know, my field medics mattered. Save the day was incredible. Um, and so I beat tens 3-0, and then it's like three, maybe two minutes later, I've got to play chips. I kind of wish they gave us a little more downtime, but I went into the finals feeling good, and not in a cocky way. I went into the finals not worried. Like, I was not nervous, but that's partially because I have enough experience in other games of in-person events. Sitting here in my apartment by myself, I... I don't find I get nervous anymore. Um, but I went into the finals feeling good, feeling, you know, really crisp about my play. Pretty sure I lost the die roll, um, which in that case, ironically, despite the fact that I came second at Worlds, that would mean I won the die roll once at Worlds. <laughs> one out of 11. It's either one out of 11 or two out of 11 if I was if I went first in the finals. I have not rewatched the finals, so I don't remember. But we've talked about me being very bad at going first in opens. I'm still bad at it, apparently. Um so my match with Chips, you know, uh, game one was went back and forth, and there was a a turn that just well, there was a there was two turns that really changed it. There was a Renaya off the top into uh, uh, when I there was Renaya that came off the top, which was really good for him, and then he had an igniter for the turn I played Project, which was the turn after Renaya, and he top deck dashing scoundrel. I was in a great spot except for both of those cards. Uh, even if it was Ignite or Kill Relic, I just have the biggest stuff on the board and we're top decking. Or it's, I have Project to play and Scoundrel's fine if I'm getting more units a turn. Uh, so that went wrong. Game two, I just, I double nested into double Magnum Interest him. I violated Apple Chips. I'm not sorry, because game three, he violated the living shit out of me the same way. With the, the, the closest thing to stacking your deck that, that FTS deck can do, which is Grumbo, Rat King, Rat King, Abundance, Exodus, in that order. Um, that's their best draw. And then our game four was, I'm in a commanding spot and got rolled by top deck Renaya number two. But I can't be upset, man. Like, I made 13,000 Canadian dollars, and I actually got to go to Worlds to finish second. Uh, I get to join Popo in that club, like a professional bridesmaid. <laughs> like, I, I, it's funny, I have never won an Eternal Tour. I'm now in the top 10 Eternal earners of all time. That's funny. Wait, you haven't even won an ETS? I, I won one ETS, but never an Invitational. But I do, I did get to, I this, uh, I'm proud of this. Uh, in a season of ETS, I won an event and then top-aided the next five. That was sweet. But yeah, I've never won an Eternal Open or LCQ, any of that. The only thing I've won an Eternal ever is an ETS and like Tuesday Night Eternal, or not a Tuesday Night Eternal. Uh, oh my God, what did the Great Parliament run? What was that called? Well, what the Great Parliament used to run, which was well done. I will give them credit again. Um, that's the only things yeah, I've won in Eternal. Like, but I'm now in the top 10 lifetime earners of Eternal. I won a shit ton of money. I don't have a Worlds avatar, so I can't comment on that. But, uh, like, like sure, there was some... Like, I'm sure some people would say I got, like, very much, you know, out top decked or something in top two. But I can honestly say I just can't care. 
And also, it's Apple chips. There's no shame in losing to Apple chips. So, despite not winning Worlds, like, what a crazy weekend. And, you know, between the three people I worked with, we won 18,000 US dollars. Uh, would have been better, potentially, if time routes were slightly different. But, like, what an insane weekend. And I'm I'm just happy I get to actually say I got to go. It's finally. Like, I'm happy that's off my bucket list and off, like, I feel like, like, I, again, I don't know yet. If this was my last season, I'm very happy that I finally did this because I feel like otherwise I'd have this giant hole in my eternal story. So, I'll have one-fourth of this podcast's world qualified. Hey, Boxer, I've went further yeah. at Worlds than you. I'm going to keep that, you know, just loaded in the cannon anytime I need it now. <laughs> yeah, I don't have any response to it. Nope, I mean, it's fine. You'll just, you'll break up Stone Scar Mall or something, but... I want to ask you, how did you feel now? Watching Worlds, you, you for the last two years, you've been at Worlds. I helped you prepare, especially for the first one. The second one, I just really couldn't. Like I was too busy. But I got to be involved and watch you guys at Worlds. I literally remember lying in bed watching Worlds 2020, and I cried when Ace won. So I, I don't know if you were on TRS when Popo came second. Uh, I was. Okay, like I remember what it was like. To be the spectator and to see either the the second place or the win, even last year, like although you guys didn't do as well as in previous years, you guys still put up a what top four and a top eight, still good, um, still very good. So I want to ask you what it was like to both be the spectator watching worlds, but also leading up to worlds and stuff. Like how did how was this experience for you? Uh, being the spectator was very fun. Uh, just watching. You and Collector and Theo do well. It's just great. Um, helping prepare. I wish we had gotten a bit more interesting of formats to prepare for. Uh, other than that, it was great. Uh, and I'd probably put in close to the... Uh, I don't know if I want to say close. I had various other things distracting me, so probably the maximum amount of effort I could put in, uh, even though I think I am less happy with how much work I put in this year than last year, but it wasn't for lack of trying to put in effort uh i don't know as far as not being at worlds uh i thought i'd be disappointed but you know obviously i want to make it but variants exist uh you know both lights out ace and i did not make uh worlds after two years in a row uh being the two people qualified from our team to make it it you know life goes on i think it was actually kind of good for me to step back a bit a couple months from you know between when the last couple between like the third or second to last open and before you guys started preparing for me to just take a step back from uh, uh putting as much time in and just focusing on other things just yeah it, it didn't bother me too much and i could comfortably say that like not just you but like I'm thrilled with the people I got to work with. Like, I, I went out. There's people who I got to work with since for event who I've never met in my life. And as in, never spoke to. Like, obviously, I've never met you. That's not what I mean. Like, I didn't really know GT. I didn't know. I don't really know. I didn't. I don't think I'd ever spoke to Stormblast. Despite how, you know, Loggy's better at this game. And stuff. Uh, Black Ice. Like, there's a lot of people who were a pleasure to get to work with for this event. And... I can say, like, I'm happy, yeah, I'm very happy with got to be involved, so, like, I guess one note I'll have with that is, you know, usually being the person helping and not the person at the event, now being the person at the event, I'm happy with the help I got, if that makes sense, but 
Worlds was a, a good life experience. I'm very happy to have been paid. Very happy, you know, just uh, happy with the whole thing. Um, it's also, I don't mind saying it, it's, it's a lot of money. Like, I am a graduate student who has their own apartment. The money matters. <laughs> There's, like, I have no shame in admitting that. And so it's a big deal. I don't know what the future for me competing holds, but I could say I'm excited about it, whatever it is. And uh, I'm happy if this was my only world, that it's actually like a good positive thing that happened, even if there was a pile of fuck-ups. Do you want to add anything to talking about worlds, or should we move on to our Patreon questions? Uh, really? Uh, yeah, not really anything else to add. Hey, so I want to shout out our lovely patrons for, you know, continuing to support us, even though that we, uh, how do I describe this? Don't understand where we are in the year at any point, because scheduling is hard. Um, so, I'm happy that we still have people who actually want to support this cast, because that does mean a lot. Uh, including, you know, the spoiler we got to do today, etc. Uh, we still have a very active Discord. So, I want to thank our patrons. Uh, and they are Oddsos, Jmang, Just2718, Night06, Star, The Overmaster, Pleasing Sky4, Axon Jackson, Cotillion, D-Dub, Kids Corey Emery, Magikarp, Nominus, Skith, Tomokos, the Rock and Yeast Out. So thank you guys all for your continued support. We really do appreciate it. Now, the first question is from Jay Mang, which involves me opening your Twitter. <laughs> Always a good sign. It's not a good sign. I know what I think. I know the answer to my question. I just want to, or I know the answer. I just need to read your tweet. Once I have it up. All right. Suppose a deck has a 60% mean win rate. Is a 55% matchup a good matchup or bad matchup? Currently, the Twitter poll has a 79% saying good and uh, 21% saying bad. Now, I have voted on this as well. It's bad. Yeah, the reason, it's bad. It's bad. Oh, and so on. the reason is, regardless of what your mean is, a bad matchup is a is what where you perform worse than your average, which means that although you are favored into the 55% matchup, um, you are not basically it is still one of the worst decks for you to play against it is the average you know it's pulling down your average in some way and so when you register your 60 percent deck this is the deck you don't want to play against you might be uh so to say favored you would at 55 percent of the time that's greater than 50 but if on average you're going to win 60 percent of your games but this matchup you're actually just going to win 55 percent then this is actually a bad matchup for you and it just we're used to looking at these things as, you know, we have a 50% win rate. Anything worse, so that's a bad matchup above, that's a good one. But actually, we're looking at the mean. And so, you know, a 50% mean is, but that's average for if it's a coin flip, a win or a loss. Uh, and so we're just shifting that. And so, yeah, a uh, any deck that has, whatever your mean win rate is, even if this was, suppose a deck has a 90% mean win rate, and uh, we win... In a certain matchup, 89% of the time, it's a bad matchup. It is matchup you're still obviously quite favored in, and your deck is busted as fuck. But um, you still are not wanting to play against that deck because there are clearly quite a few other decks in the field that you were more likely to win against for you to have that 90% out. So it's, it's still one of your worst matchups, even if you're favored. I will know, for this scenario to be hyped, this hypothetical scenario to be true, even the 60% and 
uh, win rate, but you have a 55% matchup in the specific one, and your deck is real good. Probably problematic. Yeah, um, yeah do you want to add to I that? I could have chosen other numbers. I just chose them because I needed something bigger than 50, and I needed something between that number and 50. And uh, 50, 55, 60 paints a clearer visual. Uh, I could have done it in more abstract terms, you know, in the interval between the 50% and the mean. If your mean is greater than 50%, is that interval a good matchup or a bad matchup? And it's a bad matchup. The converse of this is that if your deck has below 50% mean, anything above your mean but below 50 is a good matchup. I, I, I think what inspired me to do this was I was reading some Legends of Runeterra article, uh, like a meta report, and it described certain decks, uh, I think it said called certain decks predators of a deck, and others as just slightly bad matchups, and I was interested, okay, what, what are they referring to when they're saying this? I, they didn't include the percentages, obviously they're easy to look up, but what is being said here? It's ambiguous. And that's what made me do the poll. Um, and D-Dub is right when uh, he says it's a trick of perspective. It, that's kind of what I was going for, is there's psychology behind it. You have to think about it a bit, but I am firmly a believer that if your mean is above 50%, anything below your mean and above 50 is... Makes sense to me. Should I move on to our next one? Yeah. Uh, from Skith. He's got three questions. Um, and I'll get you to answer each one first. Uh, and one of these. Uh, one. Will you or Boxer, so this is, I guess, directed at me initially, uh, will you or Boxer win Worlds next year, Edit or Theo? Um, yes. At least one of us will win at least one Worlds competition. You cryptic motherfucker. <laughs> I, it, I think between Eternal and Legends of Runeterra, I know people might say you're, I'm uh, incredibly arrogant for saying this, but I think one of the three of us will win at least one of the tournaments between Eternal Worlds or LOR Worlds. I wish I could pin this, but we're not typing. That's a clip that you're either going to be a genius for, because I'm not editing this out, even if you <laughs> ask me tomorrow. That's sticking around. Um, yeah, we are probably going to, like, although I don't fully know our competitive points, why I want, don't want to deep dive that question, that comment, uh, we are probably going to play some competitive room terror. So I intend to be at at least one world's next year. If I, you know, I'm going to, I intend to compete regardless of what game, uh, or games. So that's that is the goal for next year is to be at a world championship and obviously do well. For Intera, I want to make it to worlds. For Eternal, it would obviously be just win world. So yeah, let's go. Yeah, fuck it. Um, number two. Now that Boxer has ascended the ranks of the LOR ladder, please comment slash reflect on his journey from start to current in terms of his overall enjoyment satisfaction of the game, the level of ease that the game has allowed him to progress, and what he feels the competitive scene looks like in his opinion. Bonus points if you also comment on what strategy you'll be pursuing when it comes to the upcoming seasonals that you have qualified for. So I'm definitely doing better now than I thought I would be at this point. I'm currently ranked 13 or 14 on ladder. I have 479 LP. Um, I think the biggest part of learning the game was the different priority system and learning how to apply principles. I already know to it because like in any card game who's the beatdown is going to be applicable and figuring out how that manifests in the game because it's much different than in or not much passing is very complicated and learning when you can pass and when you can't takes took me some time 
uh, I am on a constant upward curve of enjoyment of the game. Just keep finding it more and more fun the better I get at it. Not just because I'm winning, but because like I, I like playing harder matches and getting high up on ladder does that. Um, current competitive scene. Uh, Worlds is fun to watch. Uh, I wish there were monthly tournaments instead of bi-monthly. Uh, because it feels like there's a long time between them. Uh, I haven't played in any community tournaments. I haven't played a ton of best of three. I was excited to when I finally decided to play a gauntlet the other day, but turns out there's still the bug where it's just best of one. Each player bans a deck and then picks from the remaining two, so that was really disappointing. Uh, strategy for the seasonals. Bring three good decks. Or bring the three best decks, most likely. Uh, Maybe it's going to be different than that, but ease of progression, uh, you kind of get pigeonholed in when you craft champions, and so it can be, like, basically, it, every week you get so many champions to craft, and the game is generous, but because of how many different decks there are, it's hard to try a lot of different decks quickly, uh, and that definitely stopped me from learning some things when I was only seeing certain perspectives of certain matchups rather than being able to play anything which i think i basically can now do you have any thoughts on my lor progress no nothing has been that shocking to me i don't think i have anything personally i think we can move on to the next part of the question yeah what is your next lego project ah question uh for those who don't know i may really like legos i know shocker um so i for christmas got the thanos gauntlet which i didn't know about and then I had bought, like, six months ago for my parents the Horizon Zero Dawn Tarnak that's currently on my desk behind me and I absolutely am in love with. Um, I think... So, one of the things I had told Paradox is if I win an Open or do well at Worlds, my plan was to buy the unbelievably large and expensive <laughs> Millennium Falcon. It's uh, 1100 Canadian. It's 7500 etc. As a obvious trading myself a ridiculous amount. Um, that said, I... Don't think I'll be picking that up now because specifically because I probably will be flying when I finish grad school, which means I don't want to deal with carrying a 38 pound box. Uh, <laughs> like that is literally how much it weighs. I don't think I want to deal with that when I'm so uh, right now. I don't know, but I'm definitely keeping an eye out for like I, I, I'm only interested in like 18 plus sets. So maybe something nice for Marvel if they do it. Like I love the helmet sets, even though I don't have any. Um, or, I mean, I'm literally, it's literally December 28th, and I'm about to mention Christmas next year, okay? Don't hate me. Do not hate me. Um, but I could easily see a world where I talk to my parents about us splitting. There's a giant Bowser that I'd love to build. So something like that. I think I probably will not end up getting anything else Lego for basically the entirety of next year. I would be surprised. Uh, because that shit is expensive. Especially because I have expensive taste in Legos. So, yeah, I don't have, like, a, a project right now, and I don't, I'm not someone who has a giant collection of bricks to actually build a project. So, yeah. Uh, shall we move on to... Wait, Skith has another question. He said three questions, yeah. and here's another five. <laughs> uh, all right, so from Skith, we're going to play Never Has Jerry Ever. Uh, for those who are new, the rules to Never Has Jerry Ever is... I read out a question, Boxer guesses if I have done this thing, whatever it is, uh, before. And then if he gets at least three right... Right, he wins. So number one, 
played any of the original three Sonic the Hedgehog games on Saga Genesis? No, you haven't. Correct. Uh, I, uh... What's a Saga Genesis? It's pronounced Sega. That's, well, I guess you pronouncing something wrong doesn't necessarily mean you haven't heard of it. <laughs> I'm not even going to sit here and argue. Um, that's a fair point. But yeah, that is just kind of a fly time. Uh, two. Played the original Pokemon Red slash Blue on Game Boy slash Game Boy Color. Uh, I think you're too young for that. Um, well, about that, you are, I would say, correct. Like, how do I describe this properly? Um... I've played a lot of Pokemon in my life, but the problem is I didn't have a Game Boy. So my first was uh, Pokemon Diamond. And although I would absolutely love to play uh, the different Pokemon, I simply, like, why am I going to try to afford it? Um, because getting, like, the, the Game Boy games now is so expensive that I just don't feel the need to go back when I can emulate them. So I haven't played them, and specifically you said on Game Boy slash Game Boy Color. So, um, I have briefly emulated, uh, one of those two games. I don't remember which. I did not finish it. I've never finished a game I, uh, uh, emulated, except for, well, that's false. I, uh, I did a hardcore Nuzlocke, uh, randomized Nuzlocke of Heart Gold, which is my favorite, um, and that is the correct answer, um. Three, play 2022 Game of the Year Contender Vampire Survivor. Well, you mentioned playing it earlier, so I think you have played it. I, I think there's no choice. I I finished 100%ing it the other night. Yeah, I've, I literally did a podcast with Collector, and we hyped up the game because it's so good. So you're three for three. Uh, played Epic 7 on any mobile device or emulator. I have never heard of that game. Um, I'm going to guess no. I don't know what that game is, so... Correct. I've never heard of it. And lastly, played GoldenEye or Perfect Dark on the Nintendo 64. If both, then which one was better? Which I guess I would answer I, that. You don't have to figure out which. I have not heard of those either, and that is an old game system, so I'm guessing no again. Uh, I've only heard of it, and I've never played Yep. Okay, so five for five. Uh, that's all the questions we had, so I guess we'll wrap up the cast here. Did you have any closing remarks you wanted to make? Um... Not really, uh, other than hopefully see you soon, and we'll probably have a lot of spoilers. It wasn't our plans today. We just realized, you know, we're our, it, we were talking about worlds for so long that we went. Uh, all right, well, let's wrap up this cast here. Uh, thanks, everyone, for listening and obviously supporting our podcast. And uh, enjoy the, I guess, somewhat bonus episode uh, at some point that you need to send me, August. But... Uh, yeah. Yeah, enjoy that, and we'll hopefully get another cast out soon talking about spoilers. So thanks, everyone. We'll see you soon.